Welcome to Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School. So listen, learn, enjoy and share. Dr. Heather Melville OBE is an accomplished and highly successful business leader. During more than three decades working in the City of London, she was a, a senior exec at both the Royal Bank of Scotland and at PricewaterhouseCoopers. She's also a great champion of women in business and chairs the organisation CMI Women. Dr Melville, welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast. Good afternoon, really glad to be here with you today. Thanks. So. You've enjoyed a, a long and, and very successful career in banking, um, yet I read an interview you gave several years ago in which you <laughs> said your aim was to retire early and write a book. So what changed your mind? <laughs> so the book's actually going to happen. Um, it probably would have happened just before lockdown started, but um, circumstances meant that I, I'll do that later on. And actually, I love what I'm doing. And I think if you love what you're doing, it doesn't feel like work. And I think there are still far too few women and senior black women in the corporate workplace. I'm not ready to go until we get some more. The work that I'm doing now, so I've just moved into um, headhunting, um, which is something search, which is something I'm really passionate about, um, making sure that everybody has an equal and fair opportunity to be represented and to also secure some of those top roles that will ultimately result in the changing cultures that we're trying to, to implement into organisations. So that's a long winded way of saying absolutely we've got to do a lot more. You were awarded uh, an OBE in 2017 for services to business and gender equality. And um, so what, what are those specific challenges that women and women of colour still face as they aspire to be business leaders? Well, I guess the first thing is women. Uh, and we shouldn't forget that women of colour are women as well. So we should put them in the same category. But I think just that and I don't actually think anymore that it is just about um, flexible working. I hate when that term is referred to women because men benefit from that. I think it's cultural, right? Until we get to a place where men are having babies and taking nine months out on paternity leave, um, that's when you'll see the change, right? And we see where some men have been quite bold and have said to their organisations, I want to take split my paternity leave with my wife. Actually, the men are seeing some of the challenges that those their wives could have faced while they were out of the workplace. So actually, I think there's a big amount of work to be done around the gender equality piece there and organisations that create a very inclusive culture, which is welcoming for men and women to have families are the ones that will benefit so much more in the long term. OK, now about oh, 15 years ago, while you were at uh, Royal Bank of Scotland, you set up um, a very innovative, employee-led women's network. It now has 12,000 members across 33 different countries. I mean, what inspired you to do that ori originally? And, you know, and how has it informed your, your leadership career subsequently? Well, actually, when I think about this, I often talk about this and I think, my goodness, it's just gone so quickly. Um, I guess the first thing for me, when I wanted to set this up in an organisation at the time that didn't think we needed it, 
uh, was predominant because I couldn't see very many senior women in the organisation I worked in. I know they existed, but I couldn't see them. And it's really important. You can't be what you can't see. So that was the first thing. Um, the second thing is I've worked at IBM where I could see senior women across the globe who were doing amazing things. And that drove me to believe that I could be the best that I wanted to be. And also I saw men supporting those women along their journey. And that made me think you need a senior network um, to help you with your career. If you're really serious, it's, it's almost like an investment in, in who you are. And the first thing to do is to start with one in your own organisation. And, and and was that difficult at the start or, you know, oh, did I, you face opposition? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I still remember some of the comments which came from quite senior men at the time. What are they doing? Are they going to be talking about making jam and burning their bras? <laughs> and, and I oh, took Lord. that comment in the nicest possible way. In fact, the person who said it, I actually went to approach them um, and was very diplomatic until this day. I still think it's quite comical. And I said to him, look, we are working on building this really important initiative, which is key to what the bank's trying to do. And I really wondered if you would mind just reviewing my papers just to make sure it's in line with what you know the bank was thinking to do. So I paid no attention to the comments that I'd heard he'd made. True. But what I did do is try and grab his attention and his ego by letting him know this was something that's really important. And I needed his to cast his eye over it. And actually, when he saw the business case we put, he actually went back and said, I've seen the business case and this is something we should definitely be doing. And I'm going to retract my comment around them making jam right. and, and burning their bras. And I right. think sometimes as women, when people do make those comments, and they will do because we, we live in a world where it still happens. And we also live in a world where women also feel sometimes there's no need for those things. My thing is don't be defensive, but use the opportunity to educate them and take them on a journey. Right. And so he became a great supporter. Absolutely. Okay, so you turned that one round. Was that your sales background that that that, that came um, to the fore there? Well, do you know, I would like to think so because I remember when our chief exec of the corporate banking division decided to sponsor us and gave me his cost centre, which I have to say was really quite worrying for me. Um, I remember him saying to me, um, "I questioned his team on something they put through on our cost centre." And, and he was laughing when he had a meeting with them and he said, Heather Melville, I can't believe that you cross, you questioned whether or not we should be spending this money off your cost centre. I said, absolutely. I said, gone is the myth where men think that we don't know how to manage our money. I know how to manage my money and I know how to manage the bank's money. And we're using, using this as an opportunity to develop our female talent, but at the same time to educate those that need educating. And he always said to me, you don't need to sell to me anymore. You've sold it. <laughs> Good stuff. So you knew you knew you'd been successful then. That was the moment you knew you'd arrived. <laughs> Absolutely. Good stuff. Okay. So you talked about your you talked about about your career in the in, in the banking industry there. Um, you you were in there for for almost four de decades. So that obviously includes the period around the two thousand and eight banking crisis. You know when Absolutely. several of the bigger banks came close to collapse. So in leadership terms, what did that period teach you? So I would imagine along with COVID and along with what we're going through now, one of the things it's taught me is resilience. You have to be tough. And as a leader, 
so much more is expected. It doesn't matter what's going on for you. You still have to lead your team, take them on a journey, make them feel safe so that they can deliver for our clients. But at the same time, make sure they feel empowered because that's the only way you're going to take your business to where it needs to go. If I think about 2008, which was so many years ago, at the time when it happened, it was pretty painful for a lot of us. I had the sales team that had to go out and speak to the clients, having known that they'd lost all of their their life savings, you know, and everything that they'd owned, all their profit sharing, everything had gone overnight. And, and the press didn't really talk about that. They talked about banks in the general scheme of things. They didn't talk about how individual bankers had actually suffered substantial losses as well. And I remember I felt very proud of my team because on the day when it was announced, I said, no one's going out to any meetings. I've cancelled every meeting that was in their diaries. I brought them together and I said, right, today's the day that I'm going to invest in you. We're going to talk about how you're feeling and what it is that I can do to support you, because tomorrow we have to go back out to our clients, united and undefeated. And, right. you know, one of the lessons I learned as a leader then, if you give your people space to feel bad about things that impact them, they reward you with loyalty and hard work. And I have to say the next day, every single one of my sales team were out talking to their clients. Having lost a substantial amount of money and all the other, the rest of the things that went with that 2008, they had to deal with it. Sure. Do you th how do you think, the, how do you think um, leadership in general has changed since then? I mean, that was what you did at the time. That was how you got through it. Were there, were there fundamental changes that you've, you, you made yourself or that you saw around you since then? Well, I, I think I've been fortunate to see um, some pretty good leaders um, who I see as my role models. Um, but I've also seen some not so good ones. And actually, you learn a lot from the ones that aren't good. Um, and that's what you have to look at. What did they do so so terrible that you don't want to do, that you don't want to put your team through? And that most importantly, is really not good for our reputation. So, um, and I would say that leadership now is a bigger skill than just having a title and a badge. Many years ago it was, you're getting on in life, you're doing really well, we're going to give you a management position. You didn't actually have to have much leadership skill. Well, today you need to know how to coach, you need to know how to mentor, you need to know how to discipline, you need to help people work through bereavements, through all kinds of loss, through every single kind of disaster that could possibly happen. Uh, if you think about it now, as leaders, we're having to, to take care of our people that work for us while they go through the distress of seeing what's happening to their colleagues in Ukraine or family, friends or whatever, that has an impact on how everybody shows up for work every day. Sure. Um, and I think COVID taught us that as well. Yes, yes. So what? what so overall, what, what are the most enjoyable aspects of leadership for you? Um, so I would say for me, I really enjoy when I see somebody turn a corner in their career and have really excelled. That makes me feel good. Or when somebody decides to to take a life decision and do something completely different to what they've done before, um, do it and excel at it. And, you know, I'm I'm always driven by other people. Um, and I think there isn't a word such as can't in my vocabulary. I guess the word is how do we do it and how do we do it differently? Um, I think to be a leader today, you have to be a great listener. Gone are the days when leaders just bark orders and off you go. You have to have your ear to the ground. You have to actually care. 
and you have to make some very difficult and communicate some very difficult messages. Um, and not all leaders can do that. There are leaders who can only give really good messages. They can't give those difficult ones. Um, and I can remember, you know, my first my first role as a leader and having to to sack someone, to fire someone was pretty hard. And I remember my boss at the time calling me to his office and said to me, how was that? And I went, it's awful. And he said, well, should I tell you how it looks for me? Because you're exactly the kind of leader that we need in the business. You dealt with that in a very elegant way and a very forthright but positive way. But also I left the person unbruised. And, and that's what we have to do. Sometimes things don't work out, but it's how we deliver the message elegantly. And sometimes so that people can move on and do other things if they're not right for our organisation. Equally, if somebody is stagnating and they need that portion, they need that that message that makes them believe that they can do. That's also my job as a leader to be able to encourage them um, to be the best that they can be. And is that the biggest challenge you faced? Are, are those, you know, is that is that HR, that employment thing, the biggest challenge of a leader or are there other things? I think that the world we live in now, there are other things, right? There are other things that are happening. I mean, if you just think back to two years ago, you know, many leaders would have been thinking, I need to have all my team in the office, behind their desks, ready to see clients. Well, for two years, no one went anywhere. That mm. in itself is a challenge because that's a, that's a change of mindset. You know, those that hid behind the fact that, well, you know, I don't know how to do this and my PA will show me how to do it. Well, actually, your PA couldn't show you how to do it because she wasn't there there. We had to learn how to do those things ourselves. We had to learn how to communicate in a different style. We had to learn how to read how our people were feeling without being in the room with them, but read them from the screen. And that in itself is a is a skill in itself. And it's one I think many leaders um, have had to learn. No one taught them how to do that, but they've had to learn how to do that. They've also had to learn how to really um, communicate with their clients in a way that they've never been able to do before. This whole thing of being able to see you, um, you know, look at the balls of your eye and know that what you're saying is authentic. That went out the window for two years because you could only look at them through the glaze of a screen. And so communication has really been quite important in our body language. And how, and how, you know, that is obviously post-pandemic, how are, how are future leaders going to accommodate that, that you know, that desire to, to because the, some of that will be maintained, won't it? People will want to work a little bit online and a little bit face-to-face. -face. How, you know, what challenges does that mixed form of working uh, generate for leaders now? Um, I think sometimes, I don't think it was challenges, but I think about the opportunity, right? And, and if you turn it in a positive light, for me, I look at it that when we can do things in a hybrid way, it means that we can engage with more people than we could have done before. And that has got to be a positive thing. Um, I think when we're talking to our people, our colleagues, you know, we give them the same message at the same time. That's got to be positive instead of one by one, somebody coming in and hearing something very different. I think it's also made us become much more time savvy. Um, you know, there's a meeting, it's 10 minutes, it's 15 minutes, you're crystal clear about what you need to cover um, because you know that's the amount of time you've got. Sometimes, you know, you can take that time walking up to the office and all, you know, time gets wasted. Well, actually, time has become a commodity now that we get a lot more pa packed into our day, but we're also much more smart how we use our time. 
Okay, so so you're 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 quite happy with the hybrid working, um, or would you or would you prefer to go back to the office, or did you quite enjoy the uh, the, the working online? Well, uh, it's a mixture of both actually. I really struggled because I'm quite a people person and being locked in my house for two years, you know, from the man who serves you your coffee at the station, all of those things are interactions that we have and we get used to having. But what we have done is accommodated that, right? And organisations that really cared about their people, they've put coffee breaks in, they've had things with their teams that they would never have done before because they've realised the importance of communicating. And also what we've had to remember, there are many young people that live on their own who really struggled during that time. They don't have the, they didn't have the benefit of having a nice office. They were working from their beds, no desks, in a shared house, sometimes with a competitor. That in itself put um, stress on them. I think looking at people's mental health was really quite important and being savvy about how we help them. Uh, being able to identify when someone had got into a low low place, being able to help them without embarrassing them. I think hybrid working is the way forward. It allows greater flexibility and agility, which is what is needed. Um, it's not for everybody all of the time, but it's for most people most of the time. And you, you talked in there about about mentoring. You do a lot of mentoring with um, with with young people at, at, at school, at university, and in business itself. And um, what particular insights has that given you? So I like to think of some of the mentoring relationships I have that they're reverse mentoring as well. I'm learning from them while they're learning from me. Um, I also feel it's very important for people to have that conversation with a senior leader that they think they would never have access to. How else will you know what the world of banking feels like if you're just going to read about it? You need to talk to somebody or hear from somebody firsthand who has been in that, that environment and how they've worked through it and the challenges they've faced and the opportunities they've faced. You know, I smile because banking has changed so much now, so much. You know, you don't need to see a person in a bank to do your transaction. Now, most of our young people have grown up with that older ones that really would struggle with that change because we're still used to walking into the branch, talking to the cashier, having your books stamped and all that. Those days have gone. And actually, as we look around sustainability, it's a better use of our time. It's a better use of the resources that are in the organisations, in the bank. You know, they're able to use those resources to do other things that, first of all, help them develop their careers. And secondly, help them have greater span uh, attraction to different places in the organisation, um, which I think can only be a good thing. As you know, this is a this is a podcast for the for the Nottingham Business School. Um, do you think there are, are are things you know while you're mentoring? Do you think there are things that future leaders won't find anyone talking about in online management courses or, or textbooks or whatever that that you can tell them that you that you that you you know do you give them something extra that they're not going to see from anywhere else? My lived experience, no one else has experienced it, right? Sure, um, go on, give me an and, insight from that then. An individual lived experience, uh, you know, a woman from um, a different ethnic background, different culture, um, different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, there are so many different things that we can think about. The way that I started work many years ago, the conversations I had, the qualifications I needed to do my job, are very different to what's needed today. And I think 
you know, one of the skills that people often forget, particularly I see this with a lot of really talented young graduates, they taught you just need to get the qualifications. No, you don't. You need more than that. People buy people. And so there is an element of the, your qualifications are absolutely one of the key tools that you need. Your ability to be able to communicate at all levels is one of the greatest gifts that any leader can have. And that's that's sometimes not a taught skill. It's something as time goes on, it's self-taught rather than something it's, you've been taught how to do. Um, being able to articulate what's important to you, uh, being able to understand what your key values are. And that is so important in the world that we live in today. I see this particularly with young people. They're very clear about the kind of organisations they're going to work for. Do you think that? Do you think that's a, that's, a, that's a, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but that's a really interesting point. Do you think that has changed fundamentally? Do you think people are now looking at an organisation and saying, "Look, they're making as much of a choice as the employer"? Absolutely, absolutely. I see this all the time, and particularly with young people. And when I say young people, I'm going to talk about those that are coming out of university or those who choose not to go to university. We see many entrepreneurs who have decided I'm not going to university. I am going to start my own business because I want to have my own time. I want to make sure equality is in my workplace. I want to make sure that I can also give back. All of those things which are really important to them. 20 or 30 years ago, you worked from nine till six or eight till seven, you know, and that was it. That was it. That was, you know, and you worked at the weekends if you needed to do with there were special projects happening and you need to, you, you did that. Today's generation think I am not going to work those hours. I am going to work maybe three days a week doing a full time job and another job doing something that is one of my interests. And the other day I will use doing something for my local community or for something I really care about, you know, like sustainability. And so that mindset has actually changed quite a lot. And I often hear, particularly young men, say they will not work for an organisation that doesn't treat women fairly. And that's quite surprising because many years ago, you'd never hear that. But today's young men are growing up with that value inside of them. They recognise they've got sisters, mothers, girlfriends, daughters, nieces, and they want equality. They want them to have the same opportunities that they have had. And I think that is significantly what's uh, what's very different in today's world. And what knock-on challenges does that present for leaders then? Well, I guess it shouldn't prevent them with challenges unless they're not prepared to learn. Being a leader is about getting the best out of your people and understanding what the best is. And sometimes that means shaping the way that people work so that it works for both parties. So once upon a time, you know, people frowned at the idea of somebody working three or four days a week or working flexible to be able to take their children to school or or to take their parents to, you know, to hospital appointments or whatever. And then suddenly there was a light bulb moment which said, actually, when we do that, we get much better value from our people. They appreciate us. They and, and they want there's a loyalty that's built in. So I see people who would, wouldn't change their job because they've been offered a lot of money to go and work somewhere else. And they've said, actually, I'm going to stay where I am because of the loyalty I've got when I was on maternity leave or when I was going through chemotherapy or when my father died, my organisation looked after me and I want to repay them with loyalty. So I think that whole piece around loyalty has a big part to play in how organisations benefit by treating their employees well. 
that's great. So finally, 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 if you were to offer a um, a single piece of advice to young people, perhaps those graduating from the Nottingham Business School this year, starting out on their leadership career, what might that be? I think know yourself. Know what you're good at and be prepared to sell what you're good at and be prepared to learn what you're not so good at. And it's about being able to identify, you don't have to be good at everything, but you need to know what your strengths and your weaknesses are. I, I read a cracking piece that you wrote years ago again, where you said, you said, don't feel obliged to draw attention to the things that you're not so good at, as people probably haven't noticed. <laughs> exactly. And I remember thinking, of course, absolutely, I get that, yes. Dr. Heather Melville, thank you very, very much for being our guest here on the Business Leaders Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of the others also available, including those with the CEO of Coffee Chain 200 Degrees, Rob Darby, the Director of Nottingham Contemporary, Sam Thorne, or the Queen's Lord Lieutenant of London, Sir Ken Elisa. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy and your producer was John Collins.